On this episode of the Nesson Celtics podcast, we recap the positives and negatives from week one, including Jalen Brown's solid start, deliver our overreactions of the week, and talk about what it would take to actually get James Harden into a Celtics uniform. Welcome back to the Nesson Celtics podcast. My name's Alex Francisco here with my co-workers Dakota Randall and Adam London. We have one week in the books of the season. The Celtics are one and two after games against the Milwaukee Bucks, Brooklyn Nets, and the Indiana Pacers. So a lot to unpack this show for you guys. But um, first, Dakota, how are we doing? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, had a solid holiday. Uh, as, as, you know, as well as you could possibly expect to have one this year anyway. Uh, how are you guys doing? I'm doing well, too. Obviously, this wasn't a normal holiday season, but one way it felt a little normal was having a full slate of uh, NBA action. So that was nice to see. That's what I will say. I had to work Christmas Day. I was on the morning shift at Nesson. So, I mean, of all the holidays that you're working Christmas, this was a pretty good one, right? I mean, basketball all day. and no family distractions. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not Christmas unless the Celtics are playing like total crap <laughs> on Christmas day or Christmas night. That seems to be uh, a new trend. Yeah. So, I mean, Hey, yeah. Great tee up. Let's get into it. Uh, knee jerk reactions. We'll st- let's start with the positives though. Right. Start the show on a high note. For me, the clearest positive was the offensive rebounding just because it was arguably the Celtics' biggest weakness last season. Um, Obviously, we're only a couple games in, but right now the Seas are averaging 12 offensive rebounds a game, which is fourth in the league, which is uh, pretty surprising to see. And obviously, you can kind of put that on one person. Tristan Thompson has just been an absolute wrecking crew underneath the glass, so He's come as advertised to Boston. Um, hopefully for their sake, he keeps it up. Yeah, for me, I'd say my top positive uh, is that Jalen Brown seems to keep getting better. Um, you know, anyone who knows me knows I was pretty down on Jalen Brown through the first couple of years of his career. I often called him Jeff Green 2.0. And while that's, I still think that is kind of an apt comparison, uh, I do have to admit, I really, really like where he's taking his game. Uh, and again, it's only three year, three games into the season, but I think he's played really well. Uh, he scored 33 in the first game, then 27 against the Nets, and only 18 against the Pacers. But I don't think it's really about the points so much as I think it's the way he's playing. Uh, I really like how hard he's driving to the hole. He's playing aggressive. Uh, his mid-range jumper, though, you know, people say the mid-range jump shot is a useless shot in today's NBA. I, you know, I think otherwise, uh, and I think Brown has really developed a nice mid-range shot, uh, and he's efficient. I mean, he shot. Uh, he's shooting, uh, I can't find a stat on the season, but he, he shot 8 of 13 last night, 11 of 25 the game before, and uh, 13 of 24 in the opener against the Bucks. Uh, so he's efficient, he's making his shots, and again, he's not supposed to be the alpha on this team, that's clearly Jason Tatum, but I think Jalen Brown more and more is proving himself to be a more than capable Robin, and I think that's a great time for the Celtics. Yeah, I'm with you, Dakota. Jalen Brown has been my biggest like silver lining for how the season has gone so far. I was especially impressed to see how he was playing like off the pick and roll and just like driving to the hoop and dishing it out to smart for a corner three Um, him along with Tatum kind of becoming more of a facilitator. It's really exciting to see. And I want to see a lot more 
pick and roll action from the two of them. So yeah, definitely Jalen Brown, good things. Yeah, and again, he's also he's he's always been a good defender. Uh, I think he's he's off to a great start this year in that regard. Uh, his free throw shooting seems to have continued improving. I think he missed a few the other night, but he was perfect uh, against the Pacers and perfect in the opener. Uh, so and I think it shows in his confidence in driving to the hole where I think some players, whether they want to admit it or not, if they're struggling at the line, they might be less apt to driving to the bucket and getting to the free throw line. I don't think that's a factor for him anymore. And that uh, shows because he's taking it to the hole and he's finishing often. And uh, yeah, he's doing a good job. And the negatives. Let's start with you, Adam. So I'd say mine is probably just carrying over from last season. It seems like there doesn't seem to be much variety with their last second shots. They really seem to be leaning into this Tatum step back three. And, you know, luckily it worked out for them. The first game bank was open, but last night or against the Pacers didn't work out. Judging from the comments from Stevens and Tatum, it doesn't sound like that was the first look. It just kind of was how the play played out. But you, with how much of a genius Stevens is chalked up to be, you, you know, want to see more variety with how they handle these last second plays. And, you know, I'm torn because at the end of the day, you do want the ball to be in the hands of your best player. But as we were talking about with Brown and a couple others, we do have some capable shot makers on this team. So just mixing it up because right now for the you know opposing teams, it's pretty easy to read what the Celtics are going to do down the stretch. For sure. And before we get to Dax negatives there I mean you want the ball in Tatum's hand probably at the end of the game right but when it's a 28 foot shot and you're only down one point and you don't need a three and you're definitely not open taking that shot I mean obviously Tatum can make those he has before but is it a good shot certainly not so I'm with you there how about you Doc um well I do want to touch on that too but I guess first for my for my negative uh, I just don't like the way the ball is moving. Um, and I think part of that is probably because Kemba Walker's out and I think he's a great facilitator and he's great for this offense. But right now it's just, it's very stagnant. I like Jeff Teague, uh, but he's, I don't know, for whatever reason, the combination of he, Marcus Smart and Peyton Pritchard, just uh, the offense doesn't really have any flow and I'll, they're not doing much to make it any better. When the ball gets to Jason Tatum's hands, it just seems to be stopping and turns into him going ISO, even for as well as Jalen Brown's playing, when it gets to him, it turns into either him driving uh, to the basket or somehow getting to the free throw line area to pull up for a jump shot. And I just think the offense, you know, the, I don't think the Celtics are talented enough to play that kind of game. They really need to move the ball around and uh, and play a, you know, a pretty brand of basketball for lack of a better word. And I just don't see him doing it. And, uh, you know, I think it'll get better when Kemba Walker comes back, uh, but I do think it's concerning right now personally. Yeah. I mean, also another really concerning thing is just how they come out of quarters or like the, the third quarter start out of the half. I, what was it like a 12 0 run that the Pacers got out on? I mean, it's just, it's deja vu from last season. Right. And it's, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's a great point because I, I think another one of the things that stuck out to me this season is a lot of the things that have concerned us about the Celtics over the last couple seasons, and especially in the bubble last year, they seem to have cropped back up, you know, poor third quarters. They can get a big lead, but it's not safe. Uh, shaky play down the stretches of games, really shaky play, particularly I think from Jason Tatum. And uh, I thought, you know, you'd hope maybe an off season, regardless of how short it, it was, would help fix some of those things. But a lot of them are still there. I think that's a problem. 
And I thought they might be turning a corner as well because you look back to the Bucks game, they outscored the Bucks 37 to 25 in the third. So I was like, all right, maybe, you know, they that was one thing they really focused on in this abbreviated preseason. And then sure enough, it rears its head again with the Nets and Pacers games. And it just, this is an issue that can't keep going on if they want to be one of the top teams in the East. Yeah. And I think, so coming out of, Obviously, the co- third quarter was horrible, but one thing we saw Brad Stevens do that really actually did work was insert Robert Williams into this rotation. He got a lot of minutes and really brought just the energy that they seriously needed. He made some seriously clutch plays down the stretch there. Um, I know he blamed himself for that defensive coverage and a miscommunication on that Sabonis game winner, but I personally don't really think that was his fault. I think he was just taking it for the team. Didn't want to throw Grant Williams under the bus, but Grant um, Williams was really bad in that game. Grant was really bad. And it was interesting because I mean, you roll out a two big lineup to start with Tice and Thompson, but then it kind of just becomes the Robert Williams show. Tice only gets like 14 or 15 minutes and Grant Williams has more, obviously Grant and Tice were kind of playing like the four, but it's, it's still a too big lineup and Grant Williams had more minutes than all of them put together. Yeah. I don't even know what to make of all that too. And Tice is shooting a ton of threes. Like yeah. Am I the only, only one that thinks Daniel Tice is shooting way too many three pointers? <laughs> well, before we get too beyond this, I did want to talk about inserting time Lord or Robert yeah. Williams into that lineup. I mean, he kind of looked lost game one. Maybe it had to do with the illness he was suffering from that kept him out on Christmas Day. But game three, I think, has he turned a corner? Is this the new Robert Williams? Well, I think for me, my my concern has never been with Robert Williams' talent or his game. I think he's got enough there to be a good player. I think it's always been effort and effort and just kind of having a clue on the defensive end because at times he's looked lost. Um, this season so far, I think he's really trying, um, which I, you know, it should be a bait, you know, it should be an expected thing, but, uh, regardless, I think it's a positive development for him. It looks like he really cares. I mean, that game against the Pacers, uh, there were obvious plays where his effort showed up like the steal on that inbound play and he was falling around all over the place. But if you, if you kept your eyes on him, uh, after a few plays, like including the, uh, there's a bonus game winner, you can see Williams behind the play kind of smacking the ground. Like you could see he really took it personally. And uh, so I think, I don't know if I want to say he's turned a corner because it's only three games, but I do like what I'm seeing in that if Robert Williams can consistently give this kind of effort, uh, I think that combination with his talent can make him, you know, a regular player for the Celtics. And that would be a great thing. Another play I want to highlight from Williams night was it was when the Celtics were in that, the midst of their, another classic third quarter meltdown. I think they were down eight to 10 midway through the third and it was at that pivotal moment where they always either, you know, just flounder completely or make a comeback. And Williams just steps up in rhythm and knocks down like a 16-footer. And yeah, that was good. Natural doing that. It. And I don't know about you guys. Like, I didn't know he had that in his bag. So, I mean, these days, obviously, Williams is a freak. But in this NBA, you can't just strictly be a rim runner. You have to have, you know, some level of touch. So if he can, you know, even semi-consistently knock down a 12 to 16 footer, I mean, that would just, I think, uh, fast track him turning the page. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And I, I guess that brings us to the overreaction of the week. And I'll start because my overreaction of the week is Robert Williams is going to make the jump this year. 
from what I saw literally just in this one game against the Pacers. Um, I loved what he was doing on both ends of the court. I mean, I think within a few minutes of being in, he already had a block, a steal, a few points. So um, good things there. I think they really trust him defensively for what he sees. And I'm excited to watch him grow. Um, how about you, Doc? Um, so I admittedly, I, I put this topic in our rundown and not even I knew what I meant by it because you guys, uh, I think did it the right way. I did it the wrong way. I, I was going to do, uh, that Peyton Pritchard is good, but I didn't mean that as that is my personal overreaction. Like I believe that I'm saying, I've seen a lot of people say that on social media and I think it's a huge overreaction. Uh, cause I'm already seeing a ton of Peyton Pritchard hype that he looks mature beyond his years and that he's, and he is playing well, listen, and he's, he's what he was three of three shooting three in the Pacers game. Uh, and he's made a couple other ones this season. So he is playing well. I think we need to pump the brakes on the Peyton Pritchard love because he's to me, he's just a guy. He's a six foot one backup point guard. Uh, I think he can do well on this team. I still think Tremont waters is a better player, uh, but I think people, especially the Celtics beat writers need to cool it with a Peyton Pritchard hype. Uh, but that's just me. It is interesting, though, um, if I remember correctly, he had the most po points off the bench for the Celtics last night, and it was kind of funny. He was, like, pulling up from way out. Like, there's a confidence there. And it's kind of cool to see because this isn't – they didn't have, like, a normal ramp-up period, the rookies. I mean – And I, I do think it's – There it, was no yeah. preseason, and it, they really just got, like, drafted and thrown into the lineup. And I do think it says a lot for him because he – that he hasn't played since what February or yeah. whatever March because the the college season was canceled, and uh, I saw another stat where he's played. I don't know if it was twenty minutes in consecutive games or what, but either way, he's the he's the first Celtics rookie since Tatum uh, to play twenty minutes in consecutive games or open the season with twenty minutes in each game, some version of that. Uh, so regardless, I think that just speaks to the fact that Brad Stevens trusts him, which uh, I think obviously is a good sign. And apparently trusts him more than Naismith, who was drafted ahead of him because. Yeah, that's interesting. I expect buy minutes. more. Yeah, me too. But, you know, we'll see. And How about you, Adam? Yeah, on the topic of cooling the Jets, I don't know if Celtics fans were just in the holiday spirit or whatever, but. I saw a lot of them on Christmas talking about how Shemi's going to become, you know, this like trusted, consistent rotational player because he dropped, I think it was like nine points had four rebounds against the nets i mean have we ever seen shemi do anything consistently over the past couple of years i mean this is what he does like he just flashes in like short spurts it was first when he guarded Giannis okay for like a couple minutes in the playoffs and everyone was like oh look at this guy like he can stand up with Giannis and like shemi's fine i think he'll do this periodically throughout the season you know add like some energy but you know, to say he's going to be one of the first few guys off the bench and be like consistently helpful, I think is a bit of a reach. Yeah. And that's why I would look at and say, listen, I know he's playing well, but Aaron uh, Neesmith needs to get minutes over semi Ojale in some of these spots, uh, unless he is just really that much of a disaster on the defensive end, which I don't know. I'm not in those practices, uh, but I don't know. I, I just think I've seen enough of semi Ojale over these last few years that it is what it is. I'd rather see Aaron Smith play. Well, it will be interesting to see what type of adjustments Brad Stevens makes ahead of another game against the Indiana Pacers tomorrow because this year's schedule is so weird and they have back-to-backs where they just stay on the road.
But um, another huge story we had over this past week, turns out James Harden actually reportedly has the Celtics on his list for preferred trade destinations. Um, The James Harden, like, I feel like news cycle has just been going consistently since the beginning of November, but that was definitely interesting to see because you had heard whispers of it, but then that one big, really credible report came out that the Celtics are on his list. So um, do you guys think he's a good fit or? Before we get rolling on that, it is just been funny to me to see how these James Harden rumors have unfolded. Like it started with, I just want to go to the Nets. And then it was, okay, I'm cool with the Sixers. And then it was Bucks and Heat. And now it's felt like, I think he wants so badly out of Houston that in two weeks, he's like, you know what? I'm coming around on Charlotte. Like, I think I'd be good with the Hornets. Like, I don't know how deep this guy is going to go. But- well, that's a good point because like, it's like the Celtics beat the Bucks, and the next day, okay, the Celtics are on my list now. And like, it, I mean, Charlotte just had a big win. Maybe Charlotte does end up on his list. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I don't know if it's so much, I think he just that desperately wants out of Houston, but as far as the Boston fit, I mean, we'll talk about a couple of these hypothetical trades in a bit, but I just can't see him, you know, buying into Boston, especially that, you know, this is Tatum's team. Even when you bring in a guy of Harden's caliber, this is still, you know, the Celtics have put their eggs in Tatum and Brown's back. Obviously, you know, might Brown might be involved in a trade if that were to happen, but I think he have issue. I don't want to call it second fiddle because it might be a one, a one B type situation, but yeah, I think he there could be an alpha male situation where you know he might not be able to completely buy in. Yeah, and and also I think it's worth mentioning it's not just the the reports that uh, that Harden has the Celtics on his list. I mean, for me, it, it sort of gained a new credibility when Woj over the weekend reported that the Celtics actually have talked to the Rockets uh, about a James Harden trade, and that you know again that can just be kicking the tires and stuff. It may not mean much, but I think it just it does show that this thing is being talked about. Uh, so it's, it is, you know, I think it, it warrants us talking about it as well. Uh, as far as whether or not he's a good fit, listen, I think James Harden is a losing player. I think I don't like him as, as a guy. I think he's acted like an idiot over the past two weeks, even though I do think part of that is him purposefully acting out and trying to lower his value. Uh, so it's, you know, more palatable for another team or more possible for a team like the Sixers you know, to go out and get him or for the Rockets to trade him to another team. I do think there's something to that. But and just in general, uh, I think he's kind of a crappy guy. Uh, I don't think he tries hard on defense. I don't think he puts in great effort on the court anyway. I don't like his style of play that's just geared towards tricking the officials. It's step back threes and tricking the officials, a game that I think Jason Tatum is kind of trending toward, which is a different conversation. Um, so I don't necessarily like the fit in that regard or just the way he'd fit as we talked about how he would affect Jason Tatum's development, what it would mean for Brown, et cetera. But on the other hand, uh, my sort of overall belief of the Celtics right now is I don't think this current group is good enough. Jason Tatum and, and Jason Jalen Brown included to be a championship team. And so I'm kind of of the belief of if you can find a way to make it work uh, and not give up Jason Tatum, which I don't think you'd have to maybe give it a shot because I think if you can get James Harden to buy in for one to two years, I think you could win a championship with him alongside Jason Tatum. I think it's doable. And I think right now that might be one of your only real paths to a championship. 
because I don't think you have enough to compete with the upper echelon teams as currently constituted. So maybe take a swing and see what happens. This is my thing though. I mean, if the Celtics aren't good enough now to win a championship with the players they have and inserting Harden in with them, maybe they are. The thing is though, this guy has played with Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, like so many of those teams that should have gotten like James Harden probably should have a ring right now. And he doesn't. So, I mean, to bring him in here, if he couldn't get it done with Russell or with KD or CP three, why is it like with Tatum going to make a difference? Because you know, it's not going to be with Tatum smart Brown and that whole core. You're not just inserting him in. You're going to have to break up entirely that core to get him because if, if he's going to force Houston's hand, they're not rolling over and just giving him away from anything. It's going to take a proven young starter, if not two, with a plethora of first-rounders probably. So, I mean, I, I'm just so out on him coming to Boston. That being said, I don't want him anywhere else in the East because yeah, I, I, I think that to deal with. Yeah, I think if you, if you want or you think James Harden could work in Boston, I think you essentially have to have – a lot of confidence in the Celtics culture. You have to really have belief that Brad Stevens will be able to get him to, to play the right way. And that Danny Ainge will have a talk with him and say, cut the crap. You know, this isn't how it's going to go here. Uh, and while I think it's fair to have that kind of confidence, we saw how it happened when Kyrie Irving was here, when that kind of guy was in town and it didn't go well. So maybe we shouldn't have that kind of confidence in the Celtics culture. It's the NBA. Like the players run that league. I don't think anyone culture is above it. Uh, so I'm kind of with you, Alex. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I, I, a part of me wants them to take a swing. The realistic side, of me, realistic side of me knows it's not worth it, but it's interesting. And speaking to the players running the league, one last thing I'll add is um, you guys probably saw Shemi was on Twitch last week, and someone asked him just straight up, like, "Would do you think Harden would be a fit here?" And he didn't waste any time saying no. Like it wasn't. He didn't even mull it over. And he easily could be just speaking the company line there. But if you want to read into it a bit, you could indicate that they've talked about it in the Celtics locker room. And it's kind of, they all buy into that theory that he wouldn't fit here. And as much as Ainge would like to swing a trade of that magnitude, because we've known he's liked Harden for so long. If he knows that it's going to piss everyone off in the locker room, maybe even Tatum chief among them, that might, you know, make him hesitant to pull a trigger on it. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying with Shemi, I mean, the company line would be to say, listen, I'm just I'm just putting in the work. I'm not the GM. That's up to Mr. Danny Ainge. That's the company line. Him saying, nah, not a good fit. And not to mention, like, um, I don't know how credible this is, but I did see tweets. I didn't see it actually on Jalen Brown's Instagram, but he shared a photo of him kind of like celebrating and flexing with Harden, like pissed off in the background. And yeah. that was circulating on Twitter, too. Um I'm not sure if you guys saw that on Jalen's story. All I saw was a tweet of someone saying it was Jalen's story from the night before. But, um, yeah, you you got to think that the players really don't – are really threatened by this idea. But which it brings us, like, what would it take to get Harden? I know, Dakota, you were playing around with the trade machine, so. Um, yeah, we can just fly through these real quick. I'm just more curious – I'll, I'll run through them and I just want to see if any of these stick out to you guys as either you think it's a fair deal, not a fair deal, or if any of them pique your interest. So I'll just run through them real quick. These all, and a quick caveat, uh, the ESPN trade machine does factor in 
the Celtics uh, huge trade exception they got for Hayward. So that works. Um, it does not allow you to add uh, draft picks. I sort of just added those where I thought maybe it made sense. I also more or less just kind of had fun with it. I didn't take it too seriously. So some of the trades might not make a lot of sense, uh, but here we go. So first one, uh, Celtics get James Harden, Rockets get Kemba Walker, Romeo Langford, and two first round picks. What is your, what is your reaction? Either one of you. I, that one I would actually give some consideration to just because it sounds like this Kemba knee injury could be a lingering thing. And if it is, that's obviously huge for a player who, you know, has so much jump in his game typically and would be bogged down by that. And obviously Romeo is so young, but you know, you, you aren't going to lose much sleep over giving up a player like that for a player like Harden. And then I think as we've realized, like, Picks are just part of it now. Like it's not like the NFL where you know first round picks are a gold mine. Like there's you usually miss on a lot of them anyways. So that one I would at least give some thought to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would. I mean, I would entertain that. Would Would Houston? I don't know. Right. Yeah, I think that one is. I don't know if Houston would. I think the only way I could see it happening is if if both Harden and Walker are such damaged goods at this point that it does make sense for Houston. Maybe Kemba Walker you know, a hope of Kemba Walker returning to his former self is enough of an interest for Houston compared to what they're being offered from other teams. And yeah, on the, on the first round picks, you know, realistically, you'd probably take a lot more than two. Uh, you probably have to add, I don't know, three or four, like a Brooklyn Nets style trade. Um, but yeah. Okay. So trade number two, Celtics get James Harden, PJ Tucker, and two first round picks. Rockets get Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, and a second round pick. A uh, quick note. I, I've often said that I think PJ Tucker is Grant Williams ceiling in the NBA. <laughs> so that's kind of why I included them. Uh, so yeah, your thoughts on that trade. Uh, just anything that involves getting rid of Marcus smart makes my like blood boil. I think, I, I don't know. I mean, especially if it's Jalen and smart gone, like that's your dif- your defensive identity of this team that they are Celtics basketball. I'm so out on that. Yeah, I think I am too, just because it's also important to keep Harden's contract in mind with all these things where he's under contract for this year and next as a player option for the year after that. So you possibly could be getting this guy for a year and a half. And we just talked about how, um, you know, the sky might be the limit for Jalen Brown, you know? So if, if you Harden, I'm not going to say he's a complete rental, but when you're swinging a trade like that, it's a guy you want to invest in long-term. And if you're asking who you want for the next, you know, seven to 10 years, you could make the argument. It wouldn't be that foolish of one that you might want Brown over Harden, all things considered. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm uh, personally, I'm of the belief that I wouldn't give up Jalen Brown for James Harden at this point. Um, but you know, for a lot of fans, the Marcus Smart thing, the Mar- Marcus Smart is sort of the where they draw the line. They don't want to give up Marcus Smart. So the only real re- semi-realistic trade I could come up with that did not include Marcus Smart or Jason Tatum was Celtics getting James Harden, Rockets getting Jalen Brown, Daniel Tice, Langford, and Peyton Pritchard. Uh, I don't know if there's any way the Rockets do that. I don't know. Maybe they do. What do you, what do you guys think? Is that is that a ridiculous one? I don't know. Maybe we don't know about some Rockets execs that are also in weird Celtics Twitter who are really high on Peyton Pritchard. I think that might be <laughs> this one gets done. 
I don't think that's a move Houston makes. I think they're just so much more likely to just wait out for someone to just get absolutely desperate. Right. Okay. And last one, this one is just, just ridiculous for the sake of being ridiculous. Uh, Celtics get James Harden and John Wall. Rockets get Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Daniel Tice, Aaron Neesmith. Throw in some draft picks if you want. I, I didn't, but you can. Uh, yeah, what, what do you think? I, I think it's fun. But <laughs> yeah. It's it's tough because you remember just how awesome John Wall was, even as re, like recently as those Celtics uh, Wizards playoff series, which were absolute wars, but – it's still too early to tell if he's ever going to be the player he once was. And we just talked about Brown and, you know, Tyson steadily improving and it's hopefully Kemba's injury isn't too bad. So I think that would be a major gamble for the Celtics. Yeah. I think if a trade happens, I just, I can't see it just being a standard two team trade. Right. I think multi-team three, if not four, just to get Houston, what they want and really what they deserve for Harden. They're really getting like, the poop end of the stick for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Uh, you guys are right. Uh, I'm doing that trade. Cause, cause screw it. I think John wall, <laughs> uh, I think he's an upgrade over Kemba Walker injuries included. I think Kemba's knee is more concerning than John Wall's injury history. And uh, I don't know. I'm just doing it. Cause why not? That's like, whatever, <laughs> blow it up for fun. Blow it all up for fun. Yeah. Blow, yeah blow it up. All right, yeah. So that, that's all I got. All right. Love it. We'll see what happens there, I'm sure. But uh, let's introduce a new segment for you guys. I mean, I loved watching the game last night and saw that Brian Scalabrini on the broadcast really took it upon himself to honor the late, great Tommy Heinsohn in criticizing the refs here and there. So, um, yeah, in honor of the memory of Tommy Heinsohn, let's yell about the refs. All right, Adam, you first. All right, so... My, I'm going to go with the, Dan, the what has become the infamous Daniel Tice seal. Either call it or don't. Last season, we saw him get away with it almost all the time, which kind of made it become a thing on Twitter. People talking about how, oh, look at this, like the Tice seal. And now they're kind of calling it off and on. And so either call it or don't. Like just we need some kind of consistency there. How about you, Dak? Uh, yeah, I got a few and I'm going <laughs> to going off the, the tie seal thing. I don't know if you guys saw it, but on the Robert Williams inbound steal last night, Marcus smart did the tie seal, like one of the most blatant examples of it I've ever seen. And not only that, but I, I forget who he was sealing, but whoever that player was just literally touched him on the back and Marcus smart flopped and looked at the ref asking for a foul when he committed the seal foul. So that was obnoxious, the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, a few, Ref related things that are annoying me. Uh, number one, that Tristan Thompson foul call on Giannis at the end of the opener against the Bucks. Uh, the NBA, for its to its credit, admitted that it was the wrong call. Just an embarrassing call. I don't care whether whether it was technically right or or not. You don't call that at the end of a game. You let the players decide. Too often the refs make it about them. Get out of the way. Let the players decide. That's a horrible call. Uh, in the Pacers game. I uh, forget when it was in the fourth quarter, if it was midway or, or you know, towards the end. But there was a play where TJ Warren uh, was was running above the three-point line, and he sort of just brushed up against Jalen Brown. And then in doing so, as he started to flop, he turned, slammed into his own teammate, and then flopped again, and the ref bought it, which was just an embarrassing moment for the ref. And lastly, uh, anyone, and I'm looking at the Celtics beat writers and Celtics Twitter and all, all of them, 
Uh, anyone who wanted the refs to call a foul on Malcolm Brogdon for landing in Jason Tatum's landing space on the uh, the missed oh, game wow. winner the other night, uh, you don't call that in that spot either. That's not a foul. You don't end a game on that. And anybody who thinks the refs should have called a foul on that, shame on you. Yeah, I'm with you. The, an- the annoying one for me was also that Tristan Thompson won at the end of the Bucks game, but like it worked out because ball don't lie, right? Uh, Giannis misses that free throw and it all works out but I I love the two-minute report because it just creates the saltiest fans in the world like they don't let go of that stuff I swear fans just sit on their phone refreshing Twitter waiting for it to come out after some games just so they can just spew all their takes I don't need it and I find it condescending because I don't need the NBA to tell me how inept it is and how stupid it is I can make that judgment for myself it's painfully obvious. I don't need some stupid two-minute report to come out after every game to confirm what was blatantly obvious, and that is that the NBA is unwatchably soft, the refs are terrible, and the game has <laughs> devolved into this thing where it's just tricked the officials at every step of the way, and I hate it, and that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, oh, I'm with you there. Like, so I'm, much fun with this segment. <laughs> I'm with you there. I've always been confused by basketball fans who get any sort of solace out of the two-minute report. It's almost like someone – like stealing your lunch and eating it and then them coming to you the next day and be like, Oh, Hey, I ate your lunch. It's like, all right, thanks. But like, I also didn't get to have lunch that day. So like, yeah. why do you like, it doesn't matter at all. So yeah, like I can do without the two man report too. Like, I guess it's, you know, you can say they're being accountable, but yeah, I don't need it. Yep. Yeah. All right. So um, move on from the Celtics. Cause there was a lot going on around the NBA this week too. A ton of games. Um, what stood out to me was right after the Celtics get absolutely blown out by the Nets, blown out, and just how good the Nets looked so far this season. Of course, who other than Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward go and beat them yesterday with the Hornets? Like what? Yeah, that I, I saw <laughs> that. I saw that too, and I, I couldn't really believe it, but. I don't know. It doesn't really surprise me. I didn't watch the game, so it reeks to me of uh, the Nets sort of playing down to their competition, something uh, I think, you know, Kyrie's been guilty of in the past. But that was that was bizarre. That stood out to me, too. Terry yeah. Rozier has the greatest video of his life now. That dunk on KD was just that was huge. vicious. Yeah. It was vicious. Yeah. And now just a little Hornets talk. That was also made possible by an absolute seed of a pass by LaMelo Ball, who's already had a couple of those. So I've had fun watching him these first, uh, first few couple games. Yeah. Um, okay. So for what stood out to me, uh, a lot of things stood out to me uh, this past week, but I think chief among them was yesterday, the Dallas Mavericks having a 50 point lead over the Los Angeles Clippers at halftime. I think they wound up winning that game by 53 points. I mean, I didn't watch the game, but that's stunning to me. Uh, Paul George, who I think has also revealed himself to be just a loser in this league, only had 15 points elsewhere. Lou Williams only got nine minutes. Uh, it was, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Quick sidebar. I won't go too long. should be noted that Kawhi Leonard did not play. Yeah, still. But even I don't, 50 points at halftime. I mean, I, I think. NBA record, is. actually. I don't think that's ever happened in the shot clock era. That's the largest lead at the half of all time. Yeah, it was like 72 to 20 or something. Like, that feels impossible. And real quick, I once in high school trailed in a game by 50 points. And (laughs) I'm here to tell you it's demoralizing. Uh, It was a game where 
Like it was my, I had missed a month with mono in my senior season and it was my first game back. And I wasn't even really supposed to play that much because I, I could barely, you know, get up, get off my butt and move around. And half of our team was out because they also were sick. So my coach told me, you have to start. We only have like seven players to dress. I went out there. I could barely breathe. And we just got run off the court by the defending state champions. We were losing like 61 to 11 at halftime. It was it's demoralizing. So part of me feels for the Clippers, but at the same time, I don't really like that team. So I guess I don't feel that bad. Uh, one programming note before I share mine is uh, reminiscing on Dakota's high school basketball days will not be a reoccurring segment. We um, promise. Just to let everyone know. It's not like I, it's not like I shared a good, a good memory. It's not like I was like, oh, I once was up by 50 and scored 40 and had a triple double. Yeah, you started it off with a little self-deprecation so that you could slowly work us into making this a regular thing. We see what you're doing. Okay. Um, I'll preface this by saying there's a very good chance I get cold takes exposed here, but I think there's a chance the Cavs might not be like a complete dumpster fire this season. Um, they're 3-0 right now. Obviously, wins over the Hornets in an overtime win over the Pistons, you know, aren't anything to write home about. But then they boat race the Sixers by 26, which is something. So, I mean, look at the team. There's a chance, you know, maybe uh, Garland and Sexton have breakout seasons. And then, obviously, great backcourt with Drummond and Lowe. So, I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs. But how bad the bottom of the East is, you know, maybe they flirt with that ace seed. Or at least, you know, they're not a joke like they were last season. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know. Again, it's revisionist history, and I don't really like engaging in this kind of thing, but the better Colin Sexton plays, it does open the doors for people to be like, well, did the Cavs win the Kyrie Irving trade? Yeah. You know? We need that door opened again. Yeah. I really like uh, Isaac Okoro, too. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, like, hype up the Cavs that much, but I, I, I'm, you're right. I don't think they'll be as bad as anticipated. Yeah, agreed. As a as a Bulls fan, I can only deal with one Eastern Conference bottom feeder, so I'm going to tread lightly with the Cavs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's wrap things up here. Uh, we will see you guys next week. During the next few days, the Celtics have a little bit of uh, a lighter schedule, so hopefully we can see them really bounce back, work on some things, and build up some confidence against the Grizzly- Grizzlies and then a back-to-back with the Pistons in Detroit. So until then... I'm Alex Francisco here with Dakota Randall and Adam London. Please be sure to download this podcast. Give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed it. Uh, Download, tell your friends, all of it. Really appreciate it.